Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung. I'm so grateful that you could stop for a moment and join with us as we take a look at the book. What we're going to be focusing on today is The Passion and Prophecy. Now, The Passion, of course, is the death, burial, and then the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Passion Week itself, starting with Jesus and his disciples coming into Jerusalem before he would be crucified about a week later, he arrived there on the Sabbath, or at least before the Sabbath on Friday, and then many events unfold. You need to understand what happened that week because it plays a key role in understanding Bible prophecy. From my five-hour audio series, The Passion and Prophecy, we're going to be looking and focusing on the Song of Songs. You might refer to that book in the Bible as the Song of Solomon. Solomon did write the book, and it is the Holy of Holies as far as the Jewish people are concerned. I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. Uh, If you would like to study with us, we'll do that, and then I'll tell you how you can get your own copy of The Passion and Prophecy. But right now, let's listen to the study, The Song of Songs. Courtship, if you're writing down this little outline, would be chapter 1, verse 1, or actually verse 2. Verse 1 is the name of the book and who wrote it. Through chapter 3, verse 5. Chapter 1, verse 2, chapter 3, verse 5. Second point in the exegetical outline would be ceremony. He tells us, how to be involved in courtship for the marriage, and this would be good for some of you grandmothers and grandfathers to pass along to grandchildren, to read the Song of Songs in preparation for that marriage relationship. So the second point, the ceremony and how that takes place, chapter 3, verse 6 to chapter 5, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 6 to chapter 5, verse 1. And then the third point is continuity. You know, the courtship is beautiful. Great relationship. The ceremony is fabulous, it's ecstasy, but then becomes mundane continuity, continuing on. You know, romance is, the flame is going down, you've got to keep building the fire up. He tells us how to have continuity. Continuity is chapter 5, verse 2, to verse, chapter 8, verse 4. Chapter 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 2 to chapter 8, verse 4. And then there's a conclusion about marriage and love, chapter 8, verse 5 through 14. Chapter 8, verse 5 through 14. Look quickly with me just for a second. I'm not going to, we don't have time to exegete it, but let me just show you. He, he talks about here, when he's talking about courtship, two things, building a relationship and restraint. Isn't that interesting? Tells us how to do, be involved in courtship. Relationship and restraint. How to build a relationship. As he comes, he's actually, uh, when you look, by the way, when you're exegetically looking at it, you have to remember that the lover is the male speaker and the beloved is the female speaker. Jot that down. That's important when you're going to interpret this. Exegetically, literal interpretation, the lover is the male speaker. That would be Solomon. Also, there, some have said there's a third person here would be the shepherd. I think Solomon is a shepherd, too, as well. So I think there's only two characters. The lover and the shepherd would be Solomon, and the beloved would be his first wife. And so as you read through that, you start to understand what he's talking about. He, he, he's actually out one day, and he sees in the field this beautiful woman. She is tanned from working in the field, the sun bearing down upon her body. 
she's from a poor family. Her family, her brothers have put her out in the field to watch the vineyard. And Solomon comes around. He had, by the way, leased the land to the family. They had a responsibility to pay him. It's all in there. It's just, it's beautiful. And they start developing a relationship. And he starts talking about her and looking at her, how fair she is. He used a lot of uh, phrases from nature. I, I just don't have time to, to go through it all. Look at verse 15, for example. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes. <laughs> man, that's, that's, oh, man, it is beautiful. Behold, thou art fair, my beloved, yet pleasant also. Our bed is green. The beams of our house are cedar, and the rafters are fur. I mean, you know, if you just dig in, it's, it's just precious. But notice something in verse 7 of chapter 2. There's not only relationship building, and you go ahead and read oh, back chapter 2, verse 1. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. Oh, isn't that beautiful? And the lilies among throne, uh, thorns. It goes on through, and an apple tree talks about it. Oh, man. Look at verse 4. I, I get carried away. He brought uh, me into the banquet house, and his banner over me was love. Remember that song that Al Smith wrote? There it is. It's just beautiful. Oh, look at here. Verse 7. Not only is there relationship, but she has charm and character, because look what she says. I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that ye stir not nor wake up my love till he be pleased. Restraint. Save that which is precious, ordained of God for the right time. Chapter 3, look at verse 5. It's the conclusion of their courtship before the ceremony starts. Look what it says. I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, almost the same words, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that ye stir not up nor wake up my love till he please. Be patient. Wait. Such a great illustration and instruction for us, especially those moving through courtship into a point of the ceremony. And then chapter 3, verse 6, all the way over to chapter 5, verse 1, he talks about the ceremony itself. First, the procession that's going to take place. Man, he talks about how beautiful it's going to be, the myrrh and, and the frankincense and the powders uh, of the merchants in verse 6, and behold, the bed which is Solomon's threescore, valiant men are about it. Oh, look at here. His valiant men, that's 60 men going to be in this, and their swords are held high. Solomon himself makes a chariot out of the wood of Lebanon, verse 9. I mean, what you talk about a wedding, it would make uh, anything you've ever seen before in your life look like a bunch of pikers compared to what Solomon did. This would be a, a royal wedding par excellence. Then he talks about the procedure. And he moves in and he talks about how in the ceremony they become husband and wife, but that's not what consummates the marriage. In any Jewish marriage, you must know this. The marriage is consummated when there is physical union. They go into the chamber. When the ceremony is happening, at the beginning of it, they have a sexual relationship. And when that physical union has taken place, the marriage is consummated. Look over here in verse 16 of chapter 4. It's talking about the marriage being consummated. Awake, O north wind, and come, thou south. Blow upon my garden, that the spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. 
so beautiful, the wording in this song. I am come into the garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spices. I have eaten my honeycomb uh, with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Talking about that physical relationship, that consummation of the marriage. And then look what God says. God says, according to all that I've been able to discern, God makes one statement in the whole book, and here's what he says. Eat, O friends, drink. Yea, drink abundantly, O beloved. You know what he's doing? He is endorsing his design. He said over in Genesis, we read it, chapter 2, verse 23 and 24. Man and woman leave mother and father. They come together, they cleave, and they become one. And he said, partake of this pleasure. It is a beautiful book when you look at it literally. And then moving on, he talks about the continuity of the marriage, chapter 5, verse 2, all the way down to chapter 8, verse 4. By the way, he, he lays out information for us that if you're going to have a continuing good marriage, uh, there can't be indifference. You see, they, they have some problems. You married people ever had any problems? I want to announce tonight, Judy and I have only had one fight since we have been married. For 38 years, only one fight. It's been continuous the whole 38 years. <laughs> but, sorry, honey. But anybody ever had any problems? Solomon, the perfect marriage here, has problems. You know why? She is indifferent to him. Pay attention, girls. She is indifferent. You know what? You, know what? you want to destroy your man? Be totally indifferent to him. Don't listen to what is important to him. That'll wipe him out. It destroys our ego. I can guarantee it. But by the way, he has a problem too. His absence. She comes in. Where are you? Oh, your physical body's here, but your mind's not here. Hey, girls, am I telling it like it is? I mean, how many times you sit at the breakfast table, the dinner table, and talk to him, and he may be there in body, but his mind sure is 2,000 miles away, not paying a thing that... Uh, but, then, but then it goes ahead to say, they start, she starts to remember how it was when she fell in love. And he rehearses some of those wonderful, beautiful little phrases that he said to her. And the continuity, everything comes back together. Conclusion of it all is found in chapter 8, chapter 8, verse 4 and following, and where he says that uh, it's permanent. Verse 5 says, love is permanent. Verse 6 says, set me as a seal upon my heart, as a seal upon my arm, for love is strong as death. It's powerful. Love is permanent. Love is powerful. Then look at verse 7. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all his substance of his house for love, it would be utterly be contempt, contemptible, despised, because love is priceless. It's permanent. It's powerful. It's priceless. Now, I've taken just a few moments, and I really haven't done a fair study of Song of Songs, but I tried to give you an idea how exegetically and literally you interpret the Song of Songs. What an exciting study that was, and I hope and pray that it will assist you in understanding what God's Word is actually telling us about the end times as it relates to that Passion Week, 
the week that led up to the death, the burial, and then the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It has great significance prophetically. By the way, you can get your own copy of The Passion and Prophecy. It's a five-hour audio series on CD that is available. You can call our toll-free number. It's 877-674-3298. That's 877-674-3298. It's a toll-free number from across America. Or remember, you can always go to our website, prophecytoday.com, and go to the shopping mall and make your order of our series, the five-hour audio series entitled The Passion and Prophecy. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, and let me thank you one more time for joining us as we take a look at the book. You know, as we continue to study through God's prophetic passages, we become more and more aware every single day that the rapture of the church could happen that day. When Jesus will shout, the archangel will shout, the trump of God will sound, and we'll be caught up to be with him forevermore. What a glorious day that is going to be. By the way, having said that, there's nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until.